I'm Jonathan Bastian, and this is KCRW's Foxhole. For many, stress dreams are nothing new. But what happens when you throw a pandemic into the mix? Dr. Deirdre Barrett of Harvard is surveying thousands of people about their dreams right now. And the results are, as you can imagine, a little strange. The biggest cluster of the metaphors were bug dreams. From early on, I saw dozens and dozens of dreams about bugs attacking the dreamer. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty spread around among all types of bugs. There would be swarms of bees or hornets swarming the, the dreamer. And then two psychologists say, no matter how weird your dreams are, it's important to share them. The gains in intimacy that people were getting from discussing the dreams show that it is helpful for people to tell their dreams to each other, that there is a sort of social bonding that occurs as a result of that. Dreaming in the age of COVID, that's coming up on KCRW's Foxhole. Have you had any strange, maybe unsettling dreams during this pandemic? Do you think any of your anxiety is manifesting into unusual images as you sleep? If the answer is yes to either of these questions, you're not alone. Psychology professor Deirdre Barrett of Harvard University says this prolonged pandemic is working its way into our dreams. She's asked thousands of people to fill out surveys where the participants describe their dreams in detail. And as it turns out, there are a lot of common themes and images coming up, many of which you would never expect, like bugs, jail cells, and lots more. So to take a tour of our nightly nocturnal adventures and learn a little bit more about what our brains are up to, we're now joined by Deirdre Barrett. Welcome. Nice to be here. Well, um, let's jump into the subject here and your expertise, which is dreams. And I was wondering, as, as this pandemic broke out, if uh, before you had even kind of started to collect and look at a lot of dreams, if, if you had noticed anything in yourself changing in your dream life, did any interesting dreams come to your mind a couple months ago? Well, yeah, actually, my my own two explicitly pandemic dreams were shortly before I got the survey up. The survey went up on the 24th of March, and both of these dreams were more from mid-March, just, just as the news that this was really hitting badly and what the recommended things we had to do were. I had a couple of dreams, um, and I make art from my dreams, so I made art pieces uh, because both of these were rather vivid dreams. Um, one of them was that I was in a beautiful library, like like a private library of a house that just looked centuries back in time. And it was all cozy and nice in the library. But I knew that beyond this curtained window that there was something just horrible happening in mm. the world outside. And the dream kind of shifted from feeling mostly cozy and just a little worried about outside to unable to appreciate the library and just completely overwhelmed by what was going on. So there was this menacing feeling lurking, it sounds like, something going on out there. Yeah. And it, at times it felt like there was a war, maybe, at times like riots, and at other times like it was the era of the Black Plague. So 
so when I woke up, I, you know, I usually make the most vivid image in the dream, but the library didn't make sense. And it was really the emotion that was so vivid. So I made an image that has a European classic plague doctor, you know, with the beaked mask mm. wandering through a landscape of COVID-19 particles in this mm. kind of surreal, awful looking way. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So that was the first one, which I'm sure there's a lot to talk about there, but let, let's just continue on. It sounds like there was a second one that really grabbed your attention. Yeah. The the second one, just a few days later, I dreamed that I there was something poisonous in the air, toxic in the air. It wasn't very defined. And I needed to go out into this with my cat for some hmm. reason. And I was trying to put a hood over the cat's head that would keep him from breathing wow. the toxic stuff in the air. And just like he does when I'm trying to give him a vitamin or clip his <laughs> nails or something, he doesn't know this is for his own good. And he was struggling with me. And so most of the dream was just me struggling to get the hood on my cat and just feeling very frantic and desperate that I was afraid I wouldn't get it on him before we had to go out into this. But then toward the end of the dream, I got the hood on, on my cat and I picked him up under my arm. And I think I had a hood or mask on, mm -hmm. but that was a little vaguer. And we headed out into this toxic air. And it wasn't like an everything's okay feeling, but it went from terribly anxious to feeling kind of guardedly like, okay, this is probably going to be okay now kind of feeling as I, as I headed out with him. Wow. Um, th those, those are really interesting. And, you know, y you're somebody that, that studies dreams for a profession that understands what's happening on the, uh, on the neuroscience level. But it also sounds to me like you're somebody that, that, you know, notices their own dreams as well. Um, and, was there kind of this light bulb that went off in your head of like, oh my God, something something's happening. You know, if I'm going through this, there's probably something out there in our culture that's beginning to kind of penetrate our, our minds and our dream cycles. You know, I maybe because I was so preoccupied with personal issues, I was teaching a dream course out of a teaching hospital mm. where, you know, COVID-19 patients were about to be showing up yeah. and figure out what I and psychology trainees who were not deemed essential personnel needed to, to do about that, you know, and I was just shopping for groceries and toilet paper and all that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So I, in retrospect, some things seem really obvious that I can't honestly say that I thought ahead of time, which are that unlike any other crisis, I mean, all crises kind of stir up our dream lives, but also the typical person loses a little sleep in most crises. But this one is stirring up our dream lives for psychological reasons. But then the stay-at-home order and the work furloughs and stuff have the average person sleeping more than than usual. And so that contributes further to the vivid dreams because the strongest correlate with dream recall is simply number of hours that you sleep. So I think if I'd really thought through what would be the effects of this, that I should have known that we'd see a huge upswell in dreams even more than other times. But honestly, all I thought is kind of, oh, this will be sort of like 9-11 and, you know, people will be having lots of interesting anxiety dreams about this. Right. But I 
did I didn't really foresee the everyone will be catching up on sleep and not using an alarm to wake up and we will see like more dreams than than ever out of this. Yeah, you know, one thing I've read in your research which really surprised me was that, and you just kind of alluded to it there, that the more we sleep, um, the more REM cycles we have. And particularly, it's the last REM cycle, kind of early in the morning, that that is can oftentimes produce the most vivid dreams or the most dreams. And the fact that we're not setting alarms at five in the morning and maybe sleeping later means that um, we may be seeing this, this these heightened level of dreams. Am I getting that right? Yeah, absolutely correct. The the last REM cycle is the longest, and also it it's got what's called REM density. Just means you're seeing faster and more eye movements, but that ends up correlating very much with how vivid the dreams feel subjectively. So you're missing more than just that proportion of your dream time if you sleep one or two hours less you're not taking off one eighth or one fourth of your dream time you're taking off more than that and and you're taking off your most vivid dreams so here we have this this bizarre scenario of this pandemic that just continues to drag on and because people aren't you know aren't going to work they maybe are now catching up on sleep they're sleeping longer and and here you are as this dream expert and you're starting now to record thousands of dreams out there through these surveys so tell me a little bit about some of the data you started seeing coming in or just kind of what some of the themes were initially when you got some of these dreams back well Early on, it became very clear that one one set of dreams were just anxiety dreams about getting the virus. In the course of the dream, somebody would realistically be having trouble breathing or spiking a fever, or there'd be some dreamlike symptom, like one woman looked down at her stomach and saw blue stripes on her stomach, and in the dream, she remembered that she'd heard that this was the first sign of the virus. And some would end just with the realization that I must have the virus. Mm. And in others, the dreamer would try to get to a hospital, often often with great difficulty and, and never getting there, or they'd go to a hospital or their doctor's office and and be ignored and not be able to get attention or treatment. Um, so there were just lots of these, I have a virus and, and things are not going well. well. Yeah. Um, but then there were lots of metaphors. Um, and the biggest cluster of the metaphors were bug dreams. I just, from early on, I saw dozens and dozens of dreams about bugs attacking the dreamer. Mm. And it was pretty spread around among all types of bugs. There would be swarms of bees or hornets swarming the, the dreamer, or there were there was one dream with giant grasshoppers with vampire fangs. I mean, there was sort of one-off on bed bugs and stink bugs and, you know, every kind of bug you can imagine, but attacking the dreamer. And I I think that this is because we use the the term bug as a slang term for an illness and even especially a virus. You know, I have a bug uh, often refers to viruses. So I think that dreams do some kind of pun-like things in representing a word or concept with, with a visual image. But also at a slightly deeper level, I think that swarms of lots of little things that cumulatively could harm or kill you is is a pretty good metaphor for for what the virus is doing in our body 
So bugs are not something I've seen during other crises as a metaphor. People did not have bug attack dreams in the collection of 9-11 dreams that I have um, or after other natural disasters. So it's kind of unique to this invisible threat that we're facing. But then I also did see every other metaphor that crops up for most crises, any natural disaster like a tornado or a hurricane or a tsunami or wildfires breaking out or also just bad people things, mass shooters in the streets, randomly shooting people. So I saw all the ones that you usually see for any thing that is scaring people badly. But then I also saw these these bugs and a smaller set of invisible monsters. Uh, those I had not seen before, and they were not nearly as numerous as the bugs, but there are a bunch of dreams in the survey where the person is outside and they just know that they're these monsters that could get them, but they can't see them, or they're wandering through a building and they either see dim shadows or they hear monster footsteps, but they can't actually see the monster itself. Or one woman dreamed that she was watching other people one by one were falling down and beginning to be covered in these terrible injuries and eventually dying. And she couldn't see the attacker that she knew was leaping from one to one of, of them. So the, the invisible nature of this threat, it doesn't have one strong visual image that goes with it the way planes crashing into buildings did for 9-11. Yeah, that's that's what's so interesting about this is that we are fighting this this kind of invisible threat around us, which is which is, you know, so odd. And also just the, the length of this is so long as well. And so it almost seems as I listen to you that it's like the mind is trying to create an image to place to this kind of invisible threat around us, something like that, maybe. Yeah, exactly. With something like 9-11, where an image has come with it, we're very likely to dream of the hijacker with a knife or buildings falling down or planes crashing. But for this one, we feel the same level of anxiety. And so the, the visual dream mind is looking around for an image that's a good fit for for that level of anxiety that we're feeling. And and some of some dreams seem to fit it to something that's this very specific sense of an invisible menace and others are just fitting it to anything that makes them feel that anxious. Yeah, and it also makes me wonder how some of these dreams could start to change. I mean, you started collecting dreams at the beginning of this pandemic, and you said that people were thinking about things like whether or not they were getting sick. And then, you know, as you saw later on, there were these emergence of all these bugs and insects. But I wonder, as we continue into this pandemic, if we're going to see some kind of thematic changes in the dreams. Yeah, that's a very good question. That that definitely is already starting. And I, I don't want to overemphasize the change because I'm still seeing a lot of, you know, I'm getting the virus mm -hmm. or, you know, bugs are attacking me dreams. But nevertheless, those are dropping somewhat in in the proportion they represent in the more recent dreams and ones which again i saw from the start but they're getting more common are ones that seem more about the secondary effects they're about the shelter at home situations they're about homeschooling your kids 
They're about being furloughed from work. They're about financial woes. And and those those were there from the start. For some people, that, that was the initial focus of, of a dream. But those are becoming somewhat more frequent. And and there's a lot of variety in them also. For one thing, sheltering at home is a very different experience for different people. And so people who are staying at home alone often have these exaggerated metaphors for isolation or loneliness. Mm. Uh, I've seen a bunch of dreams of people who have been put in prison, and it's different kinds of prison for different reasons or no reason they can tell. And then there are two different isolated and space ones. There's one person who's been appointed to be the first colonist to Mars, and they've been sent to Mars as a one-woman space colony without asking to go. And then there's another person who says they often have space adventure dreams, but but this one, since the pandemic began, is that they're on their way back to Earth and their spaceship is diverted to Saturn and they are stranded alone on Saturn. But then at the other end of the continuum, some people are sheltering with their families or even sometimes with more extended families than they normally live with. So they often have crowded dreams, no privacy metaphors. Um, the whole neighborhood is trying to break in and live in their house wow. or uh, the whole neighborhood has moved into their house and there are cots set up in every room and they can't find a place to sit or even walk easily. Although they're also, they're positive ones. People who obviously feel somewhat like that will dream that they're, they've discovered a secret room in their house that they never knew was there and no one else knows it's there so they can go in there and be by themselves. One woman who was actually homeschooling her own child dreamed that she got a message from the school that her kid's entire class was being sent to her home for her to homeschool them for the remainder of the lockdown. So there there are just lots of these metaphors for how one's feeling about the lockdown. Well, you can put me in the camp of the prison dream. Uh, had that a couple <laughs> had that a couple nights ago, and, and, it, and it makes me though just wonder. I mean, it, I know that you're not just recording dreams, but you're thinking about you know wh- why we dream, what's happening in our brains, and and I mean. <sighs> Are we just seeing these things as an expression of our anxiety or or what else is is causing us to create these incredible images? What what do you think in your research? Well, I I think that most of them are, you know, have anxiety as a major component. There there are a few kind of wish fulfillment just escapist ones and there are a few sort of mastery, you know, I I discover a cure or, you know, other positive ones, but, but most of them are anxiety and some are flat out nightmares, but the typical dream for the average person is, is just an anxious one. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, so certainly our anxiety, you know, same as by daytime, our thoughts are more anxious. That's certainly a component, but then it's extremely interesting to look at sort of, of all the metaphors you could come up with for the virus, which one is showing up in your dreams and what that says about how your other life history of things you're anxious of is interacting with and, 
you know, and filling in. It's something that goes with this anxious feeling for you that's going to be the the virus metaphor. And and who's helping you or who's not helping you and whether you do succeed in mastering this in some way and and you know for the lockdown ones what your metaphor is um so so the images tell us a lot beyond yeah we're anxious they they can tell us a lot more about you know exactly what we're most afraid of or about anxieties that we may have kind of shoved aside in our conscious mind that are coming up to remind us that that we're really not so okay with some particular aspect of this. Do you have any tips for limiting this anxiety or, or kind of um, replacing it with something that's a little more palatable for people that go into these dream states every night? Yes. I mean, I do encourage people not to just completely run away from, you know, the first unpleasant dream they have to to think about it and, and do some informal interpretation. But if people are just having very repetitive anxiety dreams that feel like they are contributing to their daytime anxiety, the best way to approach that is to think of what you would like to dream about. Uh, Maybe there's a favorite person that you can't be with right now that you'd like to visit with in your dreams or a place you'd like to, to go in your dreams Lots of people enjoy flying dreams, or maybe you've had some other favorite category of dream. So just think, you know, if I could dream anything I wanted tonight, what what topic would I dream about? And then as you're falling asleep, remind yourself, I want to dream about this. I want to dream about this. And form a vivid visual image of just that person's face or that place or of flying or if you're really bad at at internal me- mental imagery in your mind's eye, you might get an external prop like a photograph of the person or place and have it on your night table so it's the last thing that you actually look at before you close your eyes. And And again, just tell yourself you want to dream about that. And it doesn't work absolutely every time you do it, but it greatly increases the chances that you'll dream on that topic and also decreases the chances that you'll have anxious dreams. No, that's, yeah, that's a wonderful idea. Thank you. Um, well, I, as somebody kind of at the forefront of dreaming, and, and I think, again, of this this vast history of how we think of dreams, you know, some people thought of them as the word from from God or or from some higher power to uh, to Jungian psychology saying it's about the subconscious to to more medical models. Do you think in 2020 we're starting to actually understand why humans dream and kind of what it really means? Well, I think um, I mean when when you ask why do we dream or what's the function of dreams, I think that there's there's something a little wrong with that question, at least in its simple sense. We'd Mm. never say, what is waking thought for? I mean, we either wouldn't ask it or we wouldn't expect a one or two sentence answer to that question. You know, it's for everything. And I think that dreams are, serve almost every function other than the few most ridiculous that have ever been suggested at some time. But I don't think it's a one function thing. I mean, Freud thought they were wish fulfillment. There's a modern theory that says they're threat simulation. Those are just as opposite as you can get. And I think some dreams are indulging in wish fulfillment. 
and others are simulating threats, but I think they're just thinking about all of our usual thoughts and concerns. And they're doing it in a really different brain state that is more visually activated even than when we're awake and more emotional and less verbal and less linear in the way we think. So, so the mode of thinking is very different, but I think the content of it is just all of our usual concerns. And I think that rapid eye movement sleep, which is when most dreams occur, has all kinds of biological functions for it. It pretty much exists with mammals. That, that's, that's not a perfect cutoff for who does and doesn't have REM, but pretty close. Um, so I think that from, from the beginning of mammals and the evolutionary history, that there are things like regulating body temperature and probably some processing of emotional associational memory that that it achieves at a biological level and quite aside from whether you remember any dream or not. Uh, we don't really know whether other mammals do. It's got all these biological functions, but then evolution just layers function on top of function. So for humans, I think we're thinking through our wishes and anxieties and we're trying to solve problems. And I think just like with waking thought, lots of it is circular and repetitive and doesn't really get us anywhere, but that sometimes it makes important breakthroughs and shows us something we haven't thought about before in a different way of of doing things. So it's not like you think all dreams are, you know, accomplishing good problem solving, but I think they're trying to, and that, that once in a while, one of them really does something dramatic for us. Lastly, why do you love studying dreams so much? Why have you made a career of doing this? It's such an essential part of human experience and it gets so much less attention than, than most, most forms of waking experience. And yet every night we're having these elaborate, surreal adventures. I, I did always have high dream recall and pretty vivid, bizarre dreams myself. And I think that the more dream recall you have, the more interesting you find dreams. I, I mean, that that's a very strong correlation. So personally, it was certainly partly my own dream life. But, you know, to some extent, everyone is having this. And I just think it's a fascinating and one of the relatively less explored aspects of being human. Dr. Deirdre Barrett of Harvard University, thank you again for, for your time and for sharing your research with us. Enjoyed talking to you. This is KCRW's Foxhole. I'm Jonathan Bastian. For a lot of people, including me, dreams feel simply out of control, as if they happen to us, coming from some unknown place. It's also easy to dismiss them. I mean, what's the point of trying to describe some crazy image or feeling that no one but us can access? But two renowned professors would argue otherwise. They say we don't need to feel powerless to recurring nightmares, and that in this time of heightened anxiety, there can be a real benefit to noticing our dreams and sharing them. Dr. Mark Blagrove is a professor of psychology at Swansea University, and he joins us this morning from his home in the UK. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. And Dr. Steven Eisenstadt is the founder of Pacifica Graduate Institute in Carpinteria, California. He's also an author and creator of Dream Tending Workshops. Thanks for being here as well. 
Thank you, Jonathan. Good to be here. Well, Dr. Eisenstadt, let's start with you here. Uh, you had a chance to listen to my conversation with Deirdre Barrett and, and heard all these descriptions of insects and bugs and all these wild dreams that are taking place during this pandemic. What was going through your mind when you heard about uh, what some of the things that people are conjuring up as they dream? Well, you know, um, Jonathan, I have been uh, just deluged with so many people sharing their dreams because we're in this period of insecurity and threat and the images and the dreams are just coming one after the next for folks, often disturbing. And I think some of the themes that she was identifying are exactly right on. You know, the bugs, anything that has to do with intrusion or threat, uh, that in particular seems to be up at the moment. Yeah. And I mean, we know we're dealing with a tremendous amount of anxiety. Is, is that what you think is kind of percolating below the surface? I mean, how are you reading into this on a deeper level? On a deeper level, I think a couple things are going on. One, people are obviously anxious. I mean, things are going on. We're bombarded uh, hourly now with, you know, the threat that's in the world. It's invisible, so we can't see it. So we know that there's something that is hard. We also know in our living situation, it's way different. You know, we're isolated, uh, needing to maintain social contact. Many of us not able to reach out and be with friends or be in social situations. And if we are, it's not comfortable. So I think underneath, actually, what's going on at bottom is not only fear, but, you know, we're, we instinctively pick up the idea that death is around. And death is very prevalent in the call. Every day we're told how many people have died, how many people are in the hospital. You know, the severity of the situation certainly uh, affects us personally. And when our eyes are closed and something else comes awake, um, we are indeed registering the concern or the fear in the dream time. Mark Blagrove in the UK, I uh, also want you to respond to some of the things you hear from Dr. Barrett. Again, some of these amazing images and these themes that we're seeing. I know that you've been recording a lot of dreams as well. Mm, how, did you, yes. how did you respond to some of the things you heard there? One, one thing that was interesting in some of what Deirdre spoke about was the, it's the natural uh, threats which are occurring from the outside and that's something that we heard as well we've been asking health service workers and key workers to tell their dreams to us so that we have a long discussion over about two hours with them and one of them recently was dreaming of seeing outside that the leaves on the trees had changed and become unnatural and she was trying to warn people inside a house who were at a party about this and they were ignoring her but the important thing was that it was something had gone wrong with the outside natural world and that was what she was trying to warn people about. I did think, actually, one thing that really hit me, what Deirdre said, was about the fact that a lot of this was unexpected. You know, a lot of disasters or things that are bad, you may have restricted sleep, but this is, must be one of the few disasters ever to happen where people have more sleep than normal. And so she, and myself included, it, this was a surprise that people were having more vivid dreams and that they were having these metaphors about what was going on to, to such an extent. That was one thing that really surprised me too. And, and, and uh, Dr. Eisenstadt, I welcome you, your voice on this as well. We're actually having more time to sleep maybe than ever before. Is that something you've noticed in folks that you've been speaking to as well? Well, I have. And at the same time, what I'm noticing is people are uh, sharing with me, you know, I'm, I have more time to go to sleep, but when I am going to sleep, I'm agitated. And when I'm agitated, I know, unfortunately, that more often than not, something nightmarish will occur during the night. And then that creates the grip that we all experience, and, and that creates the depletion of energy and, and wake up. And so, you know, a lot of what people are asking is, how can I get to sleep 
in a more peaceful way. And I thought what Deidre was saying was very helpful because it's what I'm advising folks as well, that you know, right at the time of going to sleep, right before eyes close, just evoke um, a, something that is a supportive figure of some sort, either from another dream or somebody in your past or a mentor, somebody that, or even a landscape for that matter, something that I feel or the person feels supported by and that helps to, I think, um, nurture sleep and begin to, um, I don't know, mitigate the, the kind of anxiety that sets in so quickly. Mark Blagrove, is that, is that something that you ask people to do as well, to kind of uh, really hone in on that moment before sleep? Yes, I have been asked in, uh, during some of these sessions, you know, what can I do to make sure this nightmare doesn't recur? And one of the reasons we're getting people to talk about the nightmares is in socializing what's happened to them and socializing these images that have happened to them they may start to have a greater control over them in in the sense that the world will become less uncontrollable and so hopefully the dreams might become less terrible although actually you know they may very well be terrible because they are there to tell us how we are genuinely feeling about the outside world but one thing that we have found that's interesting is people who are having quite positive dreams because although a lot of people are furloughed, there's other people, I'm afraid, who, who are dying and know people who are dying and a lot of health service staff who are in very difficult circumstances. But there will also be people who, they are affected, but they're relatively unaffected by the whole thing. And, and if anything, it's a bit more holiday-like. The, the nurse who told us about dreaming of, of the outside world becoming unnatural told us during the discussion about how the world is now divided between those who are being hit by COVID and the work to do with it and those who are at home drinking wine. And so she dreamt of people in the party drinking wine and needing to tell them what the danger was and they're ignoring her. So we will also have people who are possibly having really quite positive dreams and for them, maybe it helps to hear the more negative dreams from other people so that we can all gain some understanding of what's happening to each other. And Mark, I'd love it if you tell me a little bit about the special collaboration you have with Dr. Julia Lockhart of Swansea College of Art. Um, it has to do with you listening and kind of uh, extracting a dream from somebody. And then at the same time, the repurposing and the creation of art out of it, which can have these kind of interesting therapeutic effects. Um, say more about that. I have for many years, um, just as Stephen has done, been engaged in running dream groups and getting people to discuss dreams with each other. And for many years, the aims behind this work were partly to do academic research on the outcomes of such discussions. But it, it was also to see whether people could get insight in, in just lay run groups where people would, would discuss their dream for about an hour. And when we were due to have a science festival here, and I was going to do that publicly with members of the public coming along and just discussing their dreams in public. Julia, who's also a, a, a fine artist, said that she would paint the dreams as they occurred. And the idea was the individual would then have a dream that they had a physical manifestation of it, which they could then discuss with other people for their own benefit. And they could, the dream would in a way last longer because often if you put a dream into a dream diary, it can often be forgotten. But this way they would have a work of art that had been co-created with the artist. We did then have a, a very enlightening 
consequence over the years of doing that. We've been doing that for four years now. After about two years, we started to realise that whereas in our intent was to enable the dreamer to appreciate their dream, dream more, or to look at the memory sources of the dream and what it might mean to them, the effect of the sessions, we were also getting a, a big effect on us and on the people who are in the audience of the sessions. And we're even having that now that we're doing it online, is that people gain empathy and understanding towards the individual. And this was so striking to us that we even did then experiments on this. And we've published this in Frontiers in Psychology in which we've got individuals together, they rate how much empathy they have towards each other on a standard state empathy questionnaire. And this is to do with how much do you understand the emotions of your the other person? How much do you appreciate their life circumstances? And we got people to rate themselves on that and then to engage in dream discussions over a period of two weeks. And they would discuss anything from one to five dreams. And as a result of that, we found that people's empathy towards the other person, towards the person sharing the dream, increased. They get more understanding of the emotional life and the life circumstances of that person. You know, to me, it's just so interesting how you were able to elicit this this feeling of empathy among people who were able to share. Because I think oftentimes we don't we don't think to even do this unless it's maybe with a partner or a loved one and I wonder if the takeaway is that during a time like this of such heightened fear and anxiety, if we should kind of be more open about discussing things like dreams. I mean, is that what you're saying? Yes, we do. Because although this was the first study to actually assess empathy, you know, using a proper measure of empathy, there had been other studies being done in which people had been, uh, say, couples were asked to either discuss dreams with each other or discuss waking life events with each other. And the gains in intimacy that people were getting from discussing the dreams show that it is helpful for people to tell their dreams to each other, that there is a sort of social bonding that occurs as a result of that. Um, there's a theoretical in a way, irony of, of theoretical interest in this also, in that much of what Deirdre spoke about was of theories of dreaming, many of which could very well be true about what the dream does for you during the night and what it might do for you if you recall it in the morning. But what we're looking at is, in addition to that, the possibility that the dream, although it's produced during the night and it may have neural or other effects then, it could affect other people during the day and that may be even one of its functions is to be a sort of natural storytelling to other people that you then engage in during the day. Um, these days of course there may be less of that occurring because we've got films, we've got so many distractions that we may be less willing to engage in this natural storytelling but during the pandemic and the lockdown it may be that people have a greater opportunity to engage in that natural storytelling about ourselves with each other. Yeah, thank you for sharing a little bit about that. Um, uh, Dr. Eisenstadt, I want to go to you here now because I know that uh, you're someone who really believes in working with dreams, the content, the meaning, and uh, dream tending is a program that you've really fostered and created. Can you give us some insight into the process that you take seriously and, and would kind of suggest to others? Yeah, I would like to do that. And just to echo what Mark is saying, I think... Um, one of the extraordinary possibilities uh, that occurs for us that when dreams come, when we experience them as story, 
rather than imagining them so quickly as something threatening or, or something um, that needs to be interpreted or something that has a meaning. Um, when we go to that place, uh, we lose the kind of narrative and the poetry that's in the dream from the beginning, even the ones that are most frightening. They still tell elaborate stories, and I love the notion of, of art and drawing, because um, in dream tending, we'll do the same. We'll ask people to not only record dreams, but, you know, when we record a dream in the dream journal, we're, we're writing text, we're narrative, and more often than not, we're creating paragraphs and sentences and capital letters, and so already we're starting to, in a way, censor the dream or condition the dream. Um, you know, we're revising the dream, as uh, Sigmund Freud might say. And the idea is that in the actuality of the dream, in the actuality when our eyes are closed and that comes awake, there's something else going on. I mean, it is filled with landscape and characters and feelings and action. It's, it's a whole movement that's going on through us. And it does have a story-like quality to it. it. More often than not, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And for people to be able to bring that from the inside out and share that with another person allows for what's going on inside in that extraordinary place of the dream to be not only expressed, but then have the opportunity to develop a different kind of relationship with the figures and the landscapes and the images, which is what I'd like to go back to in relation to the nightmare dream. You know, to the extent that we keep it inside or to the extent that we try to wrestle with it, you know, uh, one thing's going to happen. More often than not, we get gripped even more fully and we feel almost possessed by it at times versus getting it expressed in the outside. And then I'm not so identified and possessed by it, I have the opportunity to develop a different kind of relationship to it. And how great it is to be able to share that different relationship with another person, particularly a person in the home place, or I too run a number of dream groups. People come together and share their dreams with one another, and they share them as story. Uh, so the idea is not to interpret them so quickly, but to really listen deeply uh, and then the insights come from the, literally from the inside of the dream outside. Rather than us trying to make something of the dream, we listen to the intelligence that's already part of the dream from the beginning. Who is the storyteller and what story is being shared? I think offering artistic expression, whether it's poetic or in drawings, I think, or even in movement, I think is really extraordinary and helpful. Now, one thing that really struck me about what you said is kind of taking this scary interior dream content and um, and getting it out of us, putting it out into the exterior and sharing it, um, and then therefore changing our relationship to it, which is, I think, very much uh, some of the grounding principles of psychotherapy. Uh, is there anything else you can add to that? It is. Uh, well, let me add this. Uh, this is, um, I work in, uh, I've been asked, because, you know, children are having uh, dreams, and they're having nightmares dreams. Of course they are. I mean, they're permeable, right? So what's going on on the outside is going to certainly affect them, and then it's going to be registered in dreams. So there are a number of children that are having uh, really a hard time with their nightmares. So one possibility, and I did this just, just before there was shutdown. I went into a school, and um, it was a sixth grade, so that's about 10, 11, 12-year-old kids, a mixed group. And uh, I, I asked, so I'm here, does anybody have a dream that they'd like to share? Because, you know, I, I work a lot with people in dreams. And, of course, silence. Not one hand went up, right? And then you have to use your, you know, school trickery. And you say, you know, I've just been in this other classroom. And I asked that same question. And you should have heard what they all started talking about. You know, kids in the other classroom were talking about monsters and being chased and falling. All of a sudden, everybody's hand went up, right? <laughs> because... 
what is going on with children in particular, are they're having these kinds of dreams that are constantly at work. Uh, when they're younger, three, four, five, they're kind of engaged in child play, where you can actually act out the dreams as if they're real, you know. But then you learn, as you grow older, kind of keep that down, and you don't want to tell anybody that you're being really scared at night. So if we bracket out, because I'm a trained clinician as well, if we bracket out the concern that if there's something harmful going on in the home that you have to pay attention to, if we take that out for a moment and just listen to the creative uh, expression that's moving through the dream. And what I did with that is I invited all of them to take the monster that was in the dream and to draw it on a paper bag, right? Just draw it and then put eyes in the, you know, in the bag and put it on their head and then all interact with one another. Well, you could only imagine the energy that went up. And actually, uh, from this point on, when I go back and do that work in classrooms, I'm going to be asked to do it right before the lunch hour because the energy just amped considerably at that point. But the point is, now young people, and the same is true with adults, for all of us, if we bring expression to the dream and then find ourselves interacting with others, we're going from the inside out and we're taking the genius, the creative impulse of the dreaming psyche from the beginning. And we're not only offering expression, but now we're interacting in that dimension of experience. Can you imagine the dreams that are moving through me with their creative possibility and potency? Now I'm in conversation with another person and they too are experiencing their own creative potency and possibility. And then the two of us get into conversation around that. I mean, that's extraordinary. All of a sudden we are finding a depth of relationship that's unlike what we ordinarily experience. And just to quickly add, that was in the uh, schools with children. I also do the very same thing when I'm working with CEOs and their management teams. When I'm working with them together, uh, I will evoke imagination and images from dream to begin with. And it is extraordinary what happens. All of a sudden, that creativity opens up and that's the place of innovation and that's the place of seeing things differently and what's the possible. And of course, um, you know, people are very interested in that now, in their creativity and in innovation. In fact, I, I've renamed the time that we're living in at the moment. I experience, given that we are shut down, sheltered in place for the most part, although now beginning to come out, it is the perfect time for what I call creative incubation. I mean, we are in a period of incubation, and there is extraordinary opportunity for creativity. This is the time where dreams can really be listened to deeply, expressed, and then shared with each other. Yes, I think that what Stephen's just said, many people will resonate to that about the idea of people revealing themselves uh, through re through telling their dreams. And some of the telling of the dreams and the stories in the dreams, it can sometimes result in an inadvertent revealing of yourself because the dream is out there. And so in a way, you're, you're not coming out with yourself, first of all. You're pointing to this thing out there and you're, you're discussing that. And that can be a gentler way uh, of people starting to reveal themselves and even reveal themselves when they to each other when they're not even necessarily intending doing so. But although you know I resonate with what Stephen says and many people listening will also resonate with it, I appreciate there will be many people who don't. And the analogy I would use for them is the, uh, the uh, analogy of fiction and literature. And in a way we're producing these fictions, our dreams, because dreams very, very rarely copy what's in waking life. They produce a fiction about our waking life. And there's a very large amount of research on the empathy effects, the empathic effects of reading fiction. 
uh, literary fiction or, or fiction that is in um, more literary types of films. And the fact that people gain an understanding of other people through literature and through films which are, are about social worlds. And so if people don't quite get the, the idea of telling dreams to each other and the, the creative and other aspects of it, which Stephen's quite rightly been, been raising, you can also come to that view or see that view in terms of what's been found about the advantageous effects on people of literature and of uh, gaining an understanding of other worlds of people through reading. Stephen, did you want to jump in there? Well, uh, yeah, Mark, I thought that was uh, extraordinary, and I, I think that's exactly what's so. What I share with people, look, you know, dreams come and offer themselves to us, and more often than not, they're commenting on different dimensions of our experience. First, of course, they're going to comment on the circumstances of the day, the last 48 hours, what's going on in my life. And uh, they'll either underscore or offer a warning, or they'll somehow... Um, tell us something. More often than not, what we don't know, you know, they'll often share something that we're missing. And also dreams will talk to us about what's going on in our early life experience. Something during the day may have, you know, touched or triggered or evoked an early set of circumstances or a pattern. And then, you know, the work that's coming in with Carl Jung and the people that have followed that idea, which is the notion that dreams also pick up certain mythological themes, certain themes that come from literature. That's, just, that's what keeps me on this, from literature and from um, extraordinary legend and myth and so on. And two, dreams will often comment because they're originating from other worlds, which, Mark, is where I just got off on, because they are of an other world quality in addition to the other three dimensions. Why I share those things with folks is how cool is it to be able to sit with another person listen to dream, and then listen to how the figures in the dream may offer themselves, may offer story, tell story from any of those different dimensions. And before you know it, you have evoked curiosity. And for me, curiosity and imagination is the medicine that would be so helpful today to counter the kind of fear, anxiety, and the real, you know, grip that is really plaguing most people. I mean, it's predicted now through all kinds of research that the epidemic of mental health um, struggle and challenge is just around the corner, given everything that we're all experiencing and what we're going to continue to experience. So how do you work with that? Well, evoking imagination and curiosity goes a long way in supporting people's well-being, both physiologically, because when we're relaxed, our immunity goes up, and psychologically and emotionally because we're now into relationship and talking with one another and not so socially isolated. Dr. Stephen Eisenstadt, thank you again for your time today. We appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you. And Dr. Mark Blagrove of Swansea University, thank you for your time as well. Thank you very much. It's been, very, it's been really good talking. Well, that's all for today. You've been listening to KCRW's Foxhole. You can learn more about the show at kcrw.com slash foxhole or download the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. I'm Jonathan Bastian, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.